take your Bibles, go to Psalms. We'll be in the 61st Psalm today. Psalm 61. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series of messages that we've just begun. This is the fourth message in this series of messages that I've entitled, This is My Story, This is My Psalm. And we're looking at the Psalms. We won't study all of them in this particular venture. We'll, we'll take a break at some point and pause on the study of the Psalms and probably come back to them at another time. But we want to look at these Psalms. And last Sunday we studied Psalm 1. And the thought of last Sunday was the pursuit of happiness. Remember that Psalm, Psalm 1, blessed is the man or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We could go on there, but there was two primary thoughts out of Psalm 1. Uh, the pursuit of the godly, and then the pursuit of the ungodly. There are two aspects, or two ways to try to find happiness, and the pursuit of the ungodly is a journey in vain. Uh, you will never truly find the happiness that God can provide apart from God. But through God and His Word, you can find the true peace and happiness that God wants each and every believer to have. So we were in that passage of Scripture, and this week we're moving to Psalm 61. Several weeks ago, I was talking to my dad. I uh, called him up, and he had asked me what I had preached on on the previous Sunday. And I said, we were in Psalm 91, if you remember that. And when I said that to my dad, he says, oh, that's my psalm. And uh, he began to tell me about as a young man when he was walking away from God, backslidden, that he would lay in his bed at night and he would quote Psalm 91 over and over and over again. And it had become very special to him and God used that psalm in his life. Well, Psalm 61 is my psalm. I've shared that thought with you before on how God has used it in my life, and I'm going to share it with you again. So if you remember the story, just grin and bear it, all right? And if you don't remember the story, I trust it'll help you. But uh, it was in my first pastorate uh, back in Pennsylvania. It was probably 2003 or four. I'd been there a year or two. And um, I was at a preacher's conference, my wife and I and our two young boys at that time. They were probably four and six, somewhere around that ballpark, we were at this conference at Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee, Crown College. First night of the conference, a Monday. And um, uh, church is getting ready to start. We've dispersed our boys into some class, had no idea where they were in that building then. And, and um, I get a, a phone call. It's like one minute before church is starting. It's a man in my church. And, and so I think to myself, why is he calling me now? And, and so I, I just hung up on it. And uh, or didn't answer it, and then he texted me right after that, and that was when text messages cost something, you know, a nickel or whatever it was, and I would not take any text messages. I was not paying extra for text messages at that point in my in my life, and and I ignored it, and then he tried to call again, and I thought, man, there's something up, and so I looked at the text message, and he says, Pastor, there's been an emergency back here at home, we need you to call. And so I went out into the foyer, and, and he said, uh, he told me about a lady in our church that had been in a, a, a very horrific car accident uh, that, that afternoon, late afternoon, and, 
the message had gotten back to people and they'd found out some folks and had gotten the messages to, uh, to uh, one of the men in our church. And I uh, said, they don't know if the, she's going to make it. And they got her down in Pittsburgh. And um, so at that point, it was maybe 7.15 and church had just started and I went in and I'm trying to figure out what to do. I decided to stay in church and uh, get through that service and went and found our kids, went back to the hotel we had just checked into that afternoon and checked out of that hotel. We were going to be there for a week, and we started the journey home that night. And it was about a seven-hour trip. And the whole way, church, I am thinking about what I have to do next, Uh, how I have to go down to Pittsburgh, go to an IC unit, walk into a room, where a lady may not make it and face her family and try to give words of comfort and help. This is the first time I'd ever been in any type of thing like this. And it was, to say the least, very overwhelming thought for me. What am I going to say? I'd been to Bible college. I'd been in the ministry for several years, but I'd never had that type of an experience. And they didn't teach me that in any Bible class that I had ever taken. And it was a... I was stressing, I was hurting, and didn't talk much on the way home, just drove and got home maybe three or four in the morning and decided to take a quick nap. I had another hour and a half trip into Pittsburgh then, took a a nap, got up, got ready, and as I was pulling out, we lived in a parsonage on the same property as the church, and in fact, I'm going to be back at this church in just a couple of weeks preaching their 36th anniversary. Perhaps we'll get to see this lady that was in this accident, I don't know. And, uh, but I, I left the parsonage and I stopped at the office. It's about 6 in the morning. I walk into my office. I didn't turn on any lights but a little lamp next to a, to a, piece of, uh, to, to a, to a chair there. And I took out my Bible and I said, Lord, I need something. And I let my Bible fall open and it fell open to this passage of Scripture. And as my eyes were adjusting to the words of the text and to the light in the room, the very first words I saw, if you'll look with me in the very middle of verse number two, when my heart is overwhelmed. And I thought, oh my, this is for me. God has directed me to this psalm. And I went back and I read the text. Let's read this together, follow along in verse number one. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. I probably read that psalm seven or eight times that morning. I bowed my head and I said, Lord, my heart is overwhelmed. This is greater than me. This is more than I can handle. Would you lead me to the rock that is higher than I am? And God reached down and in his grace and his mercy, he gave me the strength to make that drive, to walk into that room, 
to bring my Bible, to read, to, to, to read scriptures of comfort, to, to put my arm a, a, a around an individual that's going through a great trial and a difficulty, to pray with this family. And I did that for days and weeks to come as her life was in the balance multiple times. And in that instance, God was favorable and merciful and brought Linda back to a full recovery. Able to see her several months later walk into church for the first time. Able to see her take care of her grandchildren and all these things and and just see how God was merciful. But I remember how God was merciful and gracious to me. And I want to talk to you this morning here from overwhelmed to overflowing. From being overwhelmed to at the end of this having a life that is overflowing of praise and worship and thanksgiving to God. I want to give you five small thoughts today. won't spend long on each of them, but five small thoughts from this passage of Scripture. I, as I mentioned, I've, uh, this has been a special psalm to me, and, and I've mentioned it here, but I asked God to give me some fresh thoughts on this this past week. And I want to share with you these five thoughts the Lord gave me. First of all, we'll talk about the cry in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the calm in verses 3 through 5. In verse 6 and 7, we see the confidence. In verse 8, the very first part, we see the cheer. And then we see, in the last part of verse number 8, the commitment. A cry, a calm, a confidence, a cheer, and a commitment. Now in your superscription, you see this is a psalm of David. David penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as we get into this, I'm going to share with you what I believe was the background of what caused him to say, my heart is overwhelmed, which caused him to cry out, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But let's begin with his cry in verse 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This two verses I'd like you to notice these four thoughts or four words. We first of all will notice the word cry in verse number one. It describes, it is defined as a shrill or a loud cry. It is used in a way of not directed at anyone, but just crying in general. And so you can see David as he's just in a situation that's causing him to cry in a loud manner, in just a general way. But it is connected to his prayer. In verse number 2, it says, Attend unto my prayer. The The cry and prayer of David have become one. David, through his tears, is crying out to God. David, in this moment of, uh, of desperation, of difficulty in his life, he is praying and crying out to God. And he asks him in verse number one, will you attend unto my prayer? Asking for attention to my cry. Asking for attention to my words of my prayer. You've heard, seen, and experienced this with a child. They've learned uh, uh, that they can cry out and mom and dad will come running. But there's a difference in when they're manipulating us and when there's a true need, isn't there? 
when there is a cry of desperation, when there's a cry of fear. That's what we're talking about. This is not David manipulating God. This is David in a moment of crisis, in a moment of difficulty, crying out to God and saying, God, will you please turn your face towards me? Will you please uh, look to me in my moment of need? In verse number 2, we see the word cry again. Now in this sense, in verse number 2, the word cry, it's a different Hebrew word. And it means to call out to someone specifically. David was not just crying in general in verse number 2, he's crying out to God. He knew that God had the answers. He knew that God had what he needed. And he cries out to him. My heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What could be going on in David's life that has caused him to be in this type of situation? There's a couple of thoughts out there, and I definitely lean more towards one than the other, but there were two times in David's life when he was on the run for his life. One was with King Saul, prior to him being the king of Israel. David's been anointed the king of Israel, but he is not yet the king of Israel. And Saul believes that David is after his position. And on multiple occasions, he's tried to kill David, and he's after him. In fact, it may go on as much as 10 years that David is in hiding, running for his life. Even during that time, David had an opportunity to take the life of Saul. And he refused to do it. And so there are some that believe Psalm 61 is written in reference to that. And I don't think that's the case because in verse number 7 it says, Thou wilt prolong the king's life. I believe this is where David is the king, but he's in danger. If you remember, there was another time when David was in danger for his life. Another man was after him. It was his son, Absalom. His son wants to put him to death. His son wants to take his kingdom. Notice the location of this cry. He says, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. Now, in a geographic sense, if this is the case of this is Absalom that is after him, we know that David flees Jerusalem and he ends up in a place called Mahananim. It's about 70 miles from Jerusalem. It's out in the, in the desert. It's out in the wilderness. It's, out, it's away from everything. It's a, it's a desolate place. And David is retreated to there, trying to avoid an, uh, the, an interaction or a conflict with Absalom. But in David's heart, he may as well have been 7,000 miles away. He feels that he's in a distant place. He feels that he's at the end of the earth. We see the reason for his cry. His heart is overwhelmed. Can you think of a more overwhelming situation than that your child not just thinks it or states it, but is literally trying to put you to death? Has raised up an army of people against you? Can you imagine a more overwhelming feeling to have your own son Wanting to kill you? Well, that's where David's at. Now, how did that happen? David 
had a period of his life where he was, he allowed the busyness of his life to cause his service for God to be more about the service than it was the intimacy. And David had some struggles in his life. And if you recall in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David tarried in Jerusalem while his men went to battle. And while they were away at battle, David falls into more sin. David spies a woman across the way that is in a compromising situation, and he lusts after her. He finds out who she is. This is the wife of Uriah. Now already David has made several mistakes, but right there, that should have been the stop sign, right? That's a flashing red light. Don't go any farther. This is the wife of Uriah, one of David's mighty men, one of his special forces, a man that was loyal to God, to Israel, to David. And David says, bring her to me as the king. He says, bring her to me. David has an adulterous affair with her. She becomes great with child. And David knows he's in big trouble now. Her husband's been away at war. She's been great with child. It's going to get out that David's the father. And so David tries to manipulate the whole matter, brings Uriah back, tries to deceive Uriah by having her, him go home to be with his wife. And Uriah won't do it. He's a man of character. He says, while my fellow soldiers are out on the battlefield, I will not enjoy the pleasures of this time with my wife. And he refuses to do this. And so David gets desperate, and he murders him. He sends a note home with, or with Uriah back to the battlefield and says, uh, to give it to Joab, the general, put Uriah in the forefront of the hot, hottest battle and then retire or leave him. And Uriah, this hero of a man, stays on the battlefield swinging his sword to the very last moment and he dies. Well, David then takes Bathsheba to be his wife. He thinks he's covered all of his tracks. Everybody will think it's okay. He's comforting her. But then in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, the prophet shows up. The man of God with the message of God. And he confronts David, and he actually dis- fools David at first, doesn't he? He gives him a, a, a parable about a man that stole someone else's sheep, put that lamb to death. And David is irate. He says, that man's going to pay with his life and repay him four times. And that's where Nathan the prophet points at David and says, thou art the man. And David knew what he had done had been discovered. God knew. By the way, we can hide a lot of things from people, can't we? You can hide nothing from God. God sees all. God knows all. And you're better off coming clean with God than it is to try to deceive individuals. And David does start to come clean in 2 Samuel chapter number 12. But there are consequences for his decisions. And because of that, you see in the next chapters of 2 Samuel, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you see, the, you see those things start coming back. He's got a daughter 
that is abused by a half-brother. Another brother comes and murders that brother. Uh, David in this time does nothing. He ignores it. He's an absent father. He ignores the situation. Absalom has to flee Jerusalem because he murdered his half-brother. And David never goes to him. David never tries to fix this. And this whole time, Absalom is burning with fury and anger to the point he raises up an army and he comes back. David is in a desperate situation. And it's all because of his failures as a father. So we see his heart is overwhelmed. And he asks this request, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I think we would have a difficult time finding someone in a situation as as desperate and as uh, debauched as David's life was here. But aren't you grateful that there's a God that forgives? There's a God that restores? There's a God that fixes things? And David recognizes that and he cries out, God, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. And I don't know what's going on in everybody's life in here today, but I do know this. There is a rock that you can get to. And it's not a, it's not a, 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 an actual rock. It's an individual It's Jesus Christ. And you can go to Jesus Christ and he can take your situation, your circumstances, your desperate need, if you'll cry out to him. And he will take you and bring this. Now, it's not long here in our text here. We go from this cry to very soon we're in a calm. David has left this moment of hysteria, it seems like, and there's a calmness that comes over him in verses 3 through 5. Notice, for thou hast been a shelter for me, and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me thy, the heritage of those that fear thy name. A calmness appears. And that's not unusual in the Psalms. They often begin with a time of difficulty and God intervening and bringing a a time of rejoicing at the end. But I will say that this comes quickly. Verse 3, you can see a change in his life because David begins to reflect on the faithfulness of God in the previous times of his life. Notice the past tense of verse number 3. Thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower, tower from the enemy. Uh, verse number five, for thou, God, hast heard my vows. David begins to look back in his life. Now certainly there were many times in, the, in his life prior to this where he has seen the faithfulness of God. As a shepherd boy, God had protected David as he's a, a slain wild beast. Uh, as a youth, uh, David has encountered the giant of Gath, Goliath. And even prior to him being a king, God has protected him as King Saul has tried to put him to death. There were moments where he has looked back and seen the faithfulness of God. David refers to his previous prayers in verse number 5. Thou hast heard my vows. Thou hast heard my prayers before. I know you'll hear me again. 
And David even refers to his heritage, his ancestry. He says, God, I know you've been with my family. Look at it, he says in verse number five. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Let's do a little Bible lesson here. Who is the father of David? Jesse. Who was David's grandfather? Do you remember? A man named Obed. And then who was the great-grandfather of David? you got to go back to the book of Ruth, don't you? And you go back to a man named Boaz, who married a Moabitess woman named Ruth. And we see this great heritage of God intervening in his life. And David's able to go back in his heritage and say, God, I've seen your faithfulness. I've lived your faithfulness. You've been good to me. Can you do that today, church? Can you go back and look at previous times and experiences in your life? And what do we always find? God has been faithful. God has been good. God has been right. Have you, have you ever gone back and looked at your life and say, well, God really messed up there? You can't say that, can you? God has always come through. And isn't it something when we look back in our life, it helps us to go move forward in our lives? And this calmness comes over David. In fact, in verse number four, notice that little word selah at the end of verse number four. It's a musical term. It's a technical term that means to pause, to rest, to take a moment. And it's often inserted in these psalms, and I think it's more than just for the sake of let's, let's pause and get your breath here, but more of let's think about what we've just said. Let's not let this pass us by. In church, you can find calmness in your life by just simply reflecting on the faithfulness of God in your life. This cry leads to a calm, which leads to a confidence in verse 6 and 7. Notice as the king, David, begins to say, Thou wilt prolong the king's life, and his years as many generations. He, the king, shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. David is suddenly now a, a man of confidence, trusting in God. Thou wilt prolong the king's life. And he asked God to prepare mercy and truth to enable these things to happen. A cry, a calm, a confidence, which leads to a cheer. Look at verse number 8. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever. Here we are. In just seven verses, or eight verses, he's gone from overwhelmed to overflowing with joy. An overwhelmed heart to an overflowing heart. We often so despise the times that we are overwhelmed, that we feel that we're in a, in a, at the end of the earth, far, far away from everything, that we'll quit. We'll give up. We won't take time to look back at the, the faithfulness of God, and we never get to verse number 8 where we can sing praises unto thy name or unto God's name. We never get to the part of, of experiencing the, the overflowing of God's goodness. 
David said it this way in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. He said, weeping may endure for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. You may be going through that type of a time in your life right now where, you're, where, 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 where it's difficult. It's a long night. It's a long season. But I tell you, church, there's joy in the morning. The problem is oftentimes we give up too soon. We quit. We think God's forgotten us. We think God has given up. God will not forget you. God will not give up on you. And hang in there. Keep trusting God because joy does come in the morning. Get through these seasons and and have that time of rejoicing. I will praise. I will sing praise unto thy name forever, David says. And oh, we can go from the overwhelmed heart to the overflowing heart. And this leads David finally to this commitment that I may daily perform my vows. This overflowing heart, this heart of worship leads David to a heart of commitment. David has recognized uh, this calmness and confidence and cheer, and now he says, I'm going to be committed to you, God. I will perform. I will live out my vows. This morning, whether you're in your situation or will be in your situation because of consequences, Sometimes, church, we've got to endure the consequences of poor choices, right? Uh, It's just we make a choice, and you you got to go through those those, those consequences. Uh, Sometimes we choose to walk away from God, and we're in a season of backsliding. There are times God actually places us in situations like this, though. He puts us in difficult times so that we'll recognize that overwhelming feeling in our hearts that feels more than we can handle. By the way, to feel overwhelmed in the situations is a good place to be if you'll turn it over to God. If it will cause you to look to God and trust God. When we realize that these circumstances are more than we can handle, we learn then to lean on God and not ourselves. Back to my first pastorate. Uh, I've been pastoring for a year or two. I'm asked to go back to the Christian school I graduated from in Cleveland, Ohio, to preach a chapel service. Uh, I, I, I go back there, and the, the pastor of the church, Kevin Folger, he's been here to preach multiple times. He, he says, let's go out for lunch after chapel. I said, sure. We're at lunch there. We're at Chipotle. I remember we're sitting at a Chipotle there. And he says, so what do you think, Mark? How are you enjoying the ministry? Are you enjoying the pastorate? I said, Pastor Folger, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm in a pool with just my two nostrils barely out of the water and I'm on my tippy toes. I feel like I'm about ready to go under. He says, good. That's where you need to be. I said, What? He goes, yep, because that's where you'll lean on God. That's where you'll trust God. That's where you'll say, God, I can't do it. Lead me to a rock that's higher than I am. So church, if you'll allow it, the difficulties of life will get you right where you need to be. Living a life of praise and thanksgiving to a great God that always comes through. Our problems is we try to 
handle the situations ourselves. Let me figure this out. Let me pull myself up by the bootstraps. Let me, let me learn to do what I need to do where we ought to say, God, what do you want me to do? You can go from overwhelmed to overflowing, but it has to go through Jesus Christ. It has to go through the rock of Jesus Christ. And when we'll do that, you can live a life of praise and commitment. Or you can flounder around in the pool, barely hanging in there, and eventually you will fail. So, are you overwhelmed today? You can be overflowing this morning. I certainly would never say this to embarrass anybody, but I talked to one of our dear saints this morning. I said, how are you doing? And they said, eh. I said, great. I said, you can leave here today overflowing. How are you doing today, church? Eh. Hey, life brings a lot of difficulties, doesn't it? Aren't you glad there's somebody that can overcome all those? The Lord Jesus Christ. You might be here today and you've never met Jesus Christ in a true personal way. You might know all about him. You might be religious. Listen, having a relationship with God is not about religion. It's not about works or effort. It's about knowing God through his gift to us. And God loved us so much, according to John chapter 3, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and he lived a perfect and sinless life. And then at the end of that life, he was sacrificed for us. He died on the cross. He suffered amazing. I read some more on that this last week in my studies for for another study about just the, the, the amount of physical pain Jesus went through on the cross. It, it's unbelievable just to see it all broken down. But then this thought, beyond that and far worse than that, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus, who was sinless, became sin. The sins of all the world, both past, present, and future sins, Jesus took upon him. He became sin for us. That's why there was darkness during the Jesus' crucifixion. From noon to three, darkness fell on the earth because God turned his back on his son who had become sin. Jesus took that upon him so that he could pay our penalty, pay our price. And by that work on his death, his burial, and his ultimate resurrection three days later, he provides salvation. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't be religious enough for it, you can't be good enough for it, but you can receive it by faith. Put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you today. It's not about being a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, or any other denomination or religion you could ever think about. It's simply by putting your faith in what God has showed us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's where it all begins. You're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. I'd encourage you, I'd plead with you. Receive Christ today. Take the gift of salvation that he offers freely to all men. Christian, we can get away from God. We can go through the difficulties and trials of life. And you can turn back to the Lord and he'll say, let me help you. 
Let me guide you. Let me get you through these times. From overwhelmed to overflowing all through Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jan is going to come and play a verse of invitation this morning. We're going to have some folks at the front of the auditorium here that are here to offer assistance to you, to pray with you, to lead you, show some scriptures to you. Or perhaps today you just want to come to the altar all on your own and talk to the Lord. We're there at your pew. But if the Lord's been working in your heart, it's an interesting thing to have the Holy Spirit work in your heart, to tug from the inside. It's not like someone grabbing your shoulder. It's like someone grabbing your heart. And that's the Holy Spirit. And it's saying, hey, I want you to do something. I want you to move. I want you to respond. Don't say no to him. He's always right. He's always good. So if the Lord... Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart today. Would you respond? I'm going to pray, and the piano's going to begin to play after the end of that prayer. And I'd ask you, either there at your pew or here at this altar, you be obedient to the Lord today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples we see, the illustrations we see through different characters, and in this instance, through the life of David, through mistakes and problems and difficulties he finds himself completely overwhelmed and then he shows us the path of getting right with you and become overflowing in his worship to you lord somebody here today needs to do that there's perhaps someone here today that needs to just get saved give their heart and their life to you there's someone here today that needs to follow you in believers baptism There's someone here today that perhaps needs to join the church and say, I want to get involved. I want to serve God here at Heritage. Or perhaps there's just someone here today that needs to come and talk to you about some great needs in their life. So Lord, whatever the need is, would they respond in obedience today? The altar is available. The pew is available. Help them to take advantage of that. And so we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand today? And as the piano begins to play, the Lord spoke to your heart, would you respond on this first verse? Altars available or there at your pew. Let's go from overwhelmed to overflowing.